Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our interactive daily broadcast where trusted leaders bring insights and analysis to the issues from a biblical perspective. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get biblical answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Welcome to a very special edition of Truth and Liberty. Hi, Alex McFarland here. You know, Jesus told the disciples he had shared the word of God, the way of salvation. And Jesus, I love this line in the Gospels. He said, see, I have told you all things. And elsewhere in John 5, 39, Jesus said, search the scriptures for they testify of me. Well, do you know the Bible is the answer? And it points us to Jesus, a religious relationship with the Lord Jesus is the answer to salvation and so many of life's issues. And so what we're going to do, we've got a very special show, and I've got some questions that we're going to go over, and we're going to discuss this, not only the things of God, but news of the world on this edition of Truth and Liberty with a very special colleague and friend that you all know. We've had national leaders, opinion makers. Tonight, I've never been more excited to introduce a guest than the the person you're going to meet right now, attorney, pastor, cultural commentator, and really the leader of Truth and Liberty, Richard Harris. So Richard, I want to say thank you so much for being with with me on your show tonight. Yeah, absolutely, Alex. It's um, uh, what is this? The tables are turned. Right? <laughs> this is great. Yes. I'm. Ha- this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm happy to be here, of course. Well, well, you are so kind, and listen, uh, I feel a little bit presumptuous because you're you're the face and the voice of truth and liberty, and I'm one of the co-hosts. But um, really, folks, I've got to lay a little bit of groundwork here. I probably met Richard Harris for the first time. I know six or seven years ago, maybe I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, but I was asked to come at the invitation of uh, Dr. Mark Cowart to speak in the School of Practical Government. And I met the person leading, really building that School of Practical Government, Attorney Richard Harris. And and folks, in the course of ministry, you meet a lot of people. Uh, as might be expected, some make more of an impression than others. But I, I've just come to appreciate and respect Richard on every possible level. Um, you're a man of God. You're a brilliant thinker. You're a great broadcaster. And Richard, I just want to say how I I praise God for all that he does through your life. Oh, Alex, thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to get choked up here, I think. Uh, uh, you know, a little mutual admiration society. Um, getting to know you has been one of the blessings, uh, greatest blessings of serving here at Andrew Womack Ministries. And I remember uh, when we first met in practical government school as well. And yeah. um, you're a great teacher, um, just an amazing evangelist. And uh, it was the greatest dream to be as fruitful as you are for the kingdom maybe someday, but uh, I have a lot of respect wow. for you, brother. Thank you for your kind words. Well, to God be the glory. And, you know, speaking of the School of Practical Government, and it has grown, folks, um, maybe you know about Karis, but honestly, everywhere I go, all over America, and, and I, I average, I'll speak in 25 or 30 states a year, 
uh, Richard, everybody's talking about Karis Bible College. It really is the most exciting thing happening in Christian education. And a big part of that is the School of Practical Government, which you have built and you direct. But, um, you know, dormitories are being built. I, I just, this week, Richard, I saw this artist rendering of the long-term vision, uh, truly one of the most powerful institutions of Christian learning in the world, Karis. And the beautiful thing about it is uh, it's thoroughly, thoroughly steeped in the Word of God. Now, Richard, it's it's got to be pretty gratifying to you. and The Lord is doing it, but you've been there um, a part of this for a good long time. And this has to be one of the most significant things that that any person could ever do. Well, it uh, what God, what's happening here at Karis Alex really is um, a move of God, and uh, you know a lot of times we think of moves of God with you know lots of flash and drama and people falling out maybe in the spirit and shaking and and all these kinds of signs, and we have lots of signs and wonders here at the ministry every day. Literally, people being healed, people being saved, lives being changed. But you know, the, the, what God is doing through Andrew Womack is absolutely uh, amazing. I believe that he is a leader for this time and hour in this generation. He's an apostle of the faith. Um, I, one of the greatest things for me, uh, being the executive director of Truth and Liberty, is the opportunity to work with Andrew um, uh, closer than a lot of people and get to. And it's just uh, so humbling to watch him. Uh, live out faith, the principles of faith and humility, um, integrity uh, that he preaches and teaches. I, I promise everybody he's exactly the same behind the scenes as he is Amen. in the in the pulpit. And um, uh, he's he's uh, rolling out literally a one billion dollar construction vision now uh, for student housing, uh, student activity center. Uh, and uh, and other buildings um, here on this amazing, beautiful slice of heaven uh, in Woodland Park, Colorado. And I think it is, um, God's going to, and, and already is, the Lord is already changing the world through this ministry, and it's only going to get bigger and better from here. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And, and you know, and I want to talk about you. I want to hear your story, Richard, and I want people to hear the, the wonderful story of how you came to faith in Jesus and how mm. an attorney... <clears throat> you know, would be in ministry. But uh, let me just briefly say a word about getting to know Andrew Womack, uh, because I met Andrew through Dr. Mark Cowart, and we've been friends, very close friends now for just under 20 years. But um, every now and then people will ask me, is Andrew like, like you see on TV? I mean, you, you, you have people you admire and respect and you hope that they're the real deal. I can tell you, and you would concur, he is everything you hope he is. He loves the Lord Jesus. Uh, about two years ago, I had the privilege of spending a whole day with Andrew. Um, he mentioned that he knew a, a minister named Arthur Blessett. Mm. Richard, have you ever talked about Arthur Blessett? Do you know who that is? Yes, I know who he is. Yes, I, he's been on campus here. Yeah, so I know who he is. Yeah. 
very, very big, you know, hero in my heart. And I got one of uh, Arthur's books like 30 years ago. And so Andrew mentioned that he knew Arthur Blessett and that he lived in Denver, which is, I don't know, 65 or 70 miles north of uh, Karis and everything. So one day um, Donna Priest called me and said, um, if you want to, Andrew's going to take you to Denver and you guys can go see Arthur Blessett. And I said, wow, that's great. So I was with Andrew driving up the road, visiting with Arthur, coming back. I mean, we were together a good nine or 10 hours and just fellowshipping, praising God, driving up the road, praying and having good fellowship. And, and I thought, wow, um, isn't it great that somebody that you, you know, respect and look up to Turns out they're everything you hope they are and a whole lot more. That's a blessing, isn't it? Yeah, it, it really is. And, you know, I had a, uh, an experience with Andrew where I got to drive to uh, basically Fort Worth, Texas and back with him. Wow. Um, he, he drove the whole way, wouldn't let me drive. <laughs> but that's a, but he, um, it, was, it was an amazing time, Alex, of hearing Andrew's stories of 50 years of ministry in North Texas, Eastern Colorado, now Woodland Park. Of course, now he's all over the world, but in the early days, you know, it was just home Bible studies and little churches and things like that. And um, he's, he's overcome adversity that would cripple most people. Um, he's uh, stood firm in his faith and convictions in the face of intense opposition and criticism, uh, believed in God's vision for himself and his family's life, his ministry, uh, when there was absolutely nothing in the natural to show for it. Uh, and now um, he's on a trajectory that is just absolutely mind-blowing. And uh, here I am pinching myself saying, God, how did I get here? And how blessed am I to be able to witness this and to be a little part of it? Amen. Amen. Well, I, I want to talk about your story. And for those just tuning in, Richard Harris is our guest on Truth and Liberty. He's the executive director of Truth and Liberty. And we will open up the phones for calls in just a few moments. By the way, you might want to jot this number down, 719-619-2341. 719-619-2341. And we'll open up the phones in a few moments and take questions. And we've got questions as well. But um, Richard, I want to hear your story. I always love to hear the story of how people met Jesus Christ and the Lord became your personal Savior uh, many years ago. I want you to mm -hmm. tell us how you, you found Christ. Oh, Alex, it's, uh, I'm happy to do that. I love telling the story. It's uh, somewhat of a simple one, um, but uh, basically... Um, I was, I was raised when I was little, I was, I was a Catholic, okay, in a Catholic home, mm -hmm. was an altar boy and all of this. So I had a head knowledge of, of God in a sense, had no understanding of grace or salvation by grace at all. Um, and, but I knew God existed, but I thought as I was taught that Catholicism was the only way. Um, and, um, uh, eventually my, my, you know, we stopped attending the Catholic school and then stopped attending mass. And then, uh, when I was in high school, I was just, um, you know, kind of, um, uh, what would I say? I was just out there, you know, I was just trying to make it as a teenager. My family was broken, uh, really a pretty difficult upbringing, um, with both parents being alcoholic, 
my mom was disabled, uh, had lost an eye to cancer. We had nine kids in the family um, and very, very poor uh, financially. My dad had uh, left the home um, you know, when I was nine. Uh, and I could go into a great deal uh, about some of the hardships we faced, but uh, the biggest problem for me as a, as a person was that I was lonely. And uh, mm. I remember in high school that I was, uh, I, I, I had a couple friends when I started, but they found other cliques and I was all by myself and I was hurting and lonely and afraid. And there was a Baptist church near our high school and I say, God bless the Baptists. Um, they had a thing called Lunch Bunch. And they would send a van, a 15-passenger van, over to our big high school every Wednesday. And you'd pay a buck fifty for lunch. You'd get, you know, spaghetti and meatballs or something like that. And a bunch of the kids thought it was a cool thing to do. So we, we piled in the van um, every so often and went over there. And one time I went and this guy stands up. I can still see his face today. And he said... Praise God. He said, if you don't know where you're going to go when you die, you can be sure by asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to be your Lord and your Savior. And at the moment, I thought, what? <laughs> and then I said to myself, I said, well, he doesn't know anything. He's just a dumb Baptist. And I, I'm not <laughs> saying Baptists are dumb. I'm, I'm reflecting on my bias as a, as a person raised, you know, in a religious situation. I didn't know anything. Uh, a few months later, I was laying in bed one night, um, and I was hurting and lonely and uh, didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, his words came back to me. So it was like the best thing I can analogize it to is like someone who's drowning and a life preserver gets thrown to him. And I just reached out and grabbed it. And I said, Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And Lord, please give me some friends. Mm. Um, I didn't really know fully what I had just done. And the next morning I woke up, I was getting ready for school and I remembered my prayer. And then I realized that I felt different. I realized that I had peace and I, I didn't really know what to make of it. I didn't know what had happened. And then when I went to school that day, I made a new friend for the first time in a long time. And uh, I knew that God had intervened in my life. And then after that, I had this sudden desire to know more about him. And um, uh, one day I discovered a Bible on the bookshelf in my mom's living room, an old Catholic Bible. It's still the Bible, at least, at least most of it, <laughs> right? Yeah. And just started reading it, devouring it. And from there, I began this journey of coming to know God. And, uh, and so that's how I came to know Jesus. And I've, I've never had that loneliness again in my life, and I've never been the same. Isn't it something that you were lonely for friends? And I mean, the primary need is to know the Lord. And the first friend you got is the one that the Bible says, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. But not only did he give you what you needed, he even gave you what you wanted, which were some, <laughs> some friends. And, yep. and he alleviated your sin, but he also alleviated your loneliness. Uh, we, we have a good savior, don't we? Oh, the best, better than we can imagine. Jesus is gooder than we can imagine, Alex. Amen. Amen. Well, now you, you went to college, you ultimately became a successful attorney. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I know you still probably practice law, at least to some degree, but you're also in full-time ministry. So mm -hmm. tell us about your trajectory 
from finding the Lord as a young person to becoming an attorney. How did you choose that for your life's work, Richard? Oh, that's a that's a, a good question. I um, I had always had a uh, an interest in politics. I mean, from a young age. I remember when I was I think I was twelve years old, and I was reading the newspaper one day about how uh, the Russians had more tanks than we did, and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, this is bad. And I was really concerned about it. And I wrote a letter to the Secretary of Defense <laughs> under Jimmy wow. Carter saying, uh, you know, what are you doing? You got you to gotta build up our army. Anyway, uh, I actually got a letter back. It was quite an experience. But I was always interested in politics. Um, and when I, um, as a youth, I was involved in Boy Scouts. And there were two leaders in our scout troop who were lawyers. And so I kind of became intrigued with that profession. And then I realized, well, um, most politicians are lawyers. I learned that at some point. I thought, well, okay, let's go to college and I'll major in political science. And then eventually I decided, um, well, there's not much you can do with that right off the bat. So I probably should go to law school. And I, uh, I did. And, um, and so that's how I came to make that momentous decision. <laughs> Well, it is a momentous decision. Uh, now, uh, in, were you thinking of at some point running for office or uh, what type of law did you pursue? Well, I did um, originally uh, think that perhaps one day I would run for office um, and, uh, and, and seriously thought about that and considered it. Um, when I got out of law school, uh, it, you know, I, I started with a law firm um, yeah, actually, one in Tulsa, and then and then soon moved to one in Oklahoma City. And these, uh, the one in Tulsa was exclusively what we would call an insurance defense uh, boutique. The one in Oklahoma City was a large firm that had many practices, but I stayed in the realm of insurance defense as my primary practice area. Um, so it's, uh, uh, it might sound a little dry to people, but uh, it had its ups and downs. I, I found it pretty interesting overall. Um, but God had other plans for us. Um, and uh, my desire, my, my real desire uh, was to serve in the ministry. Um, I had these two things going in my heart my whole life uh, until coming to Karis Bible College. I always had two things and never knew how they were going to gel or which one was right and which one was wrong. And it was politics and the word, politics and ministry. And um, I left law school after my second year. I went and got on staff at a church in Oklahoma City, worked there for three years, and then went back to law school and finished it, practiced law for 20 years. Every single day of my legal career, and this is not an exaggeration, I cried out to the Lord saying, God, put me back in the ministry. And, uh, and then one day, um, I, I had this, this uh, small group in my home, this uh, home Bible study. We had become extremely close. And um, of course, everyone viewed me as the lawyer, you know. But one day, I just uh, shared my heart with them about my desire to be in the ministry and, and everything. And, and they began to minister to me. And one guy in the group who I love dearly, he said, Richard, have you ever heard of Andrew Womack? And I said, well, I've heard of him. I uh, haven't watched him much or know much about him. And he said, well, he's got this school up there. It's a Bible college. I think it's called Karis. And they've got these extension schools all over the place. Do you know, I think you might ought to check that out. Well, I didn't know wow. what to say. After the meeting, I went into my little home office and jumped on the computer and looked it up. And when I did, I felt something jump on the inside of me. Um, yeah. Didn't know what to do with that. And a few weeks later, 
uh, another friend of mine called um, and uh, he said to me, hey, Richard, what are you doing in January? I said, I don't know. He said, you want to go to Men's Advance? I said, what's Men's Advance? He says, it's at Karis Bible College. I said, yeah, I'm there. Let's go. And so uh, we, po- we piled into a car. He, and, he actually didn't come, but two other friends did. And we came to the first Men's Advance in January 2012. And, and um, th- there's more to the story after that, but that was the beginning of my journey here. Wow. Uh, you, you know, I know that very same feeling. Uh, the first time I ever went on campus, uh, I came up with Mark Cowart, and I just felt that draw in my heart. Mm. I felt very much—I could tell God was here. I knew God was at work, and I've, you know, by God's grace— been around the world, and I've seen some things the Lord is doing. And when I um, first saw Karis, uh, big machines were pushing dirt around the the auditorium. You know where we had the Dinesh D'Souza the banquet back in the the spring. That was there, but nothing else really. And right. I knew. And I told Mark Cowart, I said. Um, I know this is the place. God is hmm. here, and I, whatever's going on here, count me in, brother. Hmm. I mean, the, uh, talking about Karis, I want to get back to your story, Richard, but oh, I tell yeah. parents and I tell young people, I say, look, trust me, visit this campus one time, and you'll want to be here. Don't you find that to be the case in so many lives? Oh, I do. And, you know, we're, we're in a beautiful setting here, uh, right just north of Pikes Peak, America's Mountain, uh, which is where America the Beautiful was written, you know, 100 years ago by uh, Catherine Lee Bates. But yeah. uh, there's a story behind this property. Um, there's a God story. Um, and and you, people ought to look it up on Andrew's website. Um, it's called The Little Star Video, and it's absolutely phenomenal. To condense it, it is that God set this property aside for this purpose by his uh, sovereign hand. And um, so it's a naturally beautiful place, but you know, there's lots of beautiful places in the world. The thing though, that makes Kara special is the presence of God here. And um, it's, uh, it's actually kind of unlike any place I've ever been, Alex. I, I remember I told you about campus or uh, men's advance. Well, we came in. Donna and I, after that, I went home and I said, God, I think God might be calling us to go to Colorado. And so, um, of course, she knew before I did. You know how wives always know that. But we we jumped in the car. Yeah, there's my family. That's uh, and and we headed here for campus days three months later. And I'll never forget that experience as long as I live, because uh, over the course of four days, the Lord intervened in my heart and my life, and uh, just sovereignly changed me and brought us here in a powerful way. And I. Uh, one of the things I remember about that campus days experience was walking around the halls of the school and everything and feeling the love and the joy in this place was unlike anything I had ever been around. It was almost palpable. And I wondered, how can this be? This is feels like what heaven might be like. I don't understand how this many people could be so happy. And uh, it was really tremendous. And it's an amazing place. I, uh, it'll change your life. Well, you know, I, I know what you're saying, that love and that joy, the presence of God. You mentioned earlier, uh, you've seen things uh, the Lord has done that um, were just not part of the natural. All right, mm. for a second, uh, Richard, let's talk about the natural versus the supernatural, because there are a lot of people I've met, and I, I know they know the Lord, I'm not disputing that, but even a born-again believer 
who, who walks through the rigors of life and spends maybe the majority of their Christian experience uh, in the natural when there's so much more beyond the natural. Could, mm-hmm. could you contrast those two for us a little bit, Richard? Sure. Um, you know, the, the, the Scripture says that um, we are pilgrims and strangers on the earth. It says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Um, the earth is not our home, um, and, but so many believers struggle uh, because they are walking by sight. They're dependent on their natural senses for everything. And, they, mm-hmm. and, and most Christians have not learned how to train their spiritual senses, especially the faith muscle, uh, yeah. to believe God's word in everything and to live according to um, the rhema word of God on the inside of them as opposed to what they see in the natural realm. So the spiritual realm and the supernatural is more real than the natural. You know, I'm, I just uh, taught a lesson on this um, out of Second Kings when Elisha uh, and his servant are surrounded by the Syrians and the and uh, Elisha, the, the, the servant comes in and says, Lo, master, we're surrounded, or something to that effect. Elisha says, They that be with us are more than they that be with them. And the servant's like, What are you talking about? And I'm filling in the gaps here. But he says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And then he sees the hills are full of the army of the Lord. And, uh, you know, we live in this reality, but we're blind to it because we don't believe his promises. And so we have to we have to renew our mind to God's word and to his promises and fight that fight of faith every day. And uh, anyway, you you uh, you pushed a button with me there. I don't mean to go on and on about it, but absolutely. The supernatural is is absolutely real. And uh, and we can experience that in our life. Absolutely. I, I, I 1000% agree. And folks, let me say, if you're just tuning in, Alex McFarland here, we're talking with Richard Harris here on tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty. Folks, do you know that the supernatural life can be yours? Uh, we're talking about peace in your soul, peace with God, joy every day, victory, not only over external circumstances, but really stability within yourself. I mean, Mm. emotions that are up and down. Wouldn't you like to have a fulfillment and a joy and a confidence that you, you think others have it? How about me? Yes, you can have it, and it's all in Jesus. And yes, there is a supernatural walk that you can have, you can have answered prayers. You can see the hand of God operative in your life every single day. You can walk, and Richard, I believe it. I've, I've seen it. My wife Angie and I know what we're talking about here, the miraculous, anointed, supernatural life of victory and joy and things that count for eternity. Jesus has it for you. Now, you might be watching mm. And we are going to go to questions here in just a moment, but maybe you, you need some encouragement spiritually. Maybe you'd like to pray with somebody, or you maybe you want to make sure that you are a born-again Christian and your sins are forgiven. I want to give a number. If you want to 
pray with somebody. This number for spiritual help is 719-635-1111. 719-635-1111. Look, no obligation, no strings attached. We just want to take God's Word, and from the Bible, we'll give you what God says about your situation. We'll pray with you. And uh, Richard, today can be a, a brand new a, a brand new chapter in the lives of people that want to turn to Jesus. I want to throw a phrase out there, Richard, and you tell mm-hmm. me if this is right. We often say this, Jesus is as close by as a prayer. Mm. That's really true, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. No question about it. Um, you know, the Lord said that the Father knows our words before we even speak them. He knows yeah. our thoughts He knows our needs before we even say them. Um, He's the one that's waiting on us. uh, And we don't need to wait on him because God is always ready. Today is the day of salvation, the word says, um, and and God is always ready. Uh, So people that are that are watching right now, um, you know, if if you are in need and and maybe there are people watching that don't know Jesus, I I would say this. um, Why not give him a try? If you haven't yet, why not give him a try? You've tried everything else in your life. Why not give Jesus a try? All you need to do is call that number on the screen right now and someone will pray with you and lead you to Christ. And I tell you what, if you mean that, Richard, forgive me for interjecting here. We've got a brief break. Folks, stay tuned. More with Richard Harris on Truth and Liberty. Don't go away. We are the antidote for what's happening in this world. But you need to see beyond the physical, and I believe that the greatest days of the church are ahead. God has a word for you, God has a plan for you, and God is raising up an army that knows how to fight the right fight the right way. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we have big plans to make a big impact. If you want to be a part of turning our nation back to God, I want to invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month, and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you, God sees your generosity. So go to Truth and Liberty and become a member today. This is a godly nation. It was founded upon godly principles. God is calling us to rebuild His house so that He can manifest His glory in the midst of a corrupt and pagan world. I would argue that America has been more prosperous, more successful than any other nation because we've done more in reading and applying the Bible. It is the history for Christians to speak out and to make a difference in this nation. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland, so honored that you're watching. We are going to go to phone calls and questions in just a moment. If you've got a Bible question or a question about current events and what's going on in the culture, especially in light of a biblical worldview, that number for questions is 719-619-2341. But let me say a word before we pick up the phones. There are so many exciting things going on. We mentioned, of course, Karis Bible College and... uh, 
Uh, Richard, we've got a faculty meeting next Tuesday, getting ready for the students coming back. And I th think the first day of school is Friday of next week, but mm -hmm. folks be in prayer for that. But we have got a conference, the Truth and Liberty Fall Conference. And I am super excited about this. Folks, this is really going to be amazing. And it's September 7 through 9 at Woodland Park, Colorado. Now make plans now. Just trust me, this is where you want to be, September 7 through 9, in the beautiful facilities of Karis Bible College, the Truth and Liberty Conference. I'll be there. It's my privilege to be one of the speakers. Richard will be there, Andrew Womack, and so many of the, the Truth and Liberty personalities that you've come to appreciate. And so, listen, I've done this a hundred times. Woodland Park is so easy to get to. You can fly into Colorado Springs, rent a car. It's just an easy drive up Highway 24, just a few minutes from the Colorado Springs Airport or Denver. And sometimes I fly to Denver and it's a little bit cheaper and you'll get a scenic drive down Interstate 25 and over to your right, you'll see the Rocky Mountains, the Front Range, Woodland Park, is quite simply one of the most beautiful cities in America. And it's the, they call it the city above the clouds because you're way up there and it's so wonderful. But the best part of all is you're going to get equipped. You're going to get encouraged. You will experience the presence of God and great fellowship with people from all over. So Richard, it's coming up uh, just in a little bit less than a month, September 7 through 9, I am super excited about the Truth and Liberty Conference, aren't you, Richard? Yes, I am. It's going to be uh, going to be exceptional, I think, Alex. So uh, we've got David Barton is going to be here, Chad Connolly, um, uh, uh, Pastor Lucas Miles, um, and my good friend oh, yeah. Muhammad Faridi, um, and yeah. Janet Porter. Janet, you know Janet. She's uh, oh yeah, just I've interviewed a, uh, her. Yeah, she's amazing. And then. Um, uh, we we have more exhibitors this year by far than we've had ever before. These are our strategic partners. I think we're going to have up to 40 different strategic partners here. And why that excites me is because people can connect with these organizations, learn more about them, and get plugged in, get plugged in to make a difference. So wherever your heart is, wherever, whatever, uh, you know, Passion, whatever you're passionate about, there will be groups here that you can connect with. And then we've got three workshops pl uh, planned that are all designed on how to activate you and get you uh, equipped so you can make a difference at the local level. And then we have Amen. a really special drama. We had Elizabeth Murin on yesterday on the show as I was hosting to talk about Overturned, a brand new um, uh, dramatic performance that she's written to commemorate the uh, reversal of Roe versus Wade. And uh, this Amen. is the premier stage performance of it. And I uh, sat down and Elizabeth walked me through the whole play. And I believe this thing is going to be absolutely moving and powerful. So I'm really excited about the whole event. Wow. Well, and folks, as you, you may know, Anything that the drama department does is like Broadway quality. I've seen the Christmas play, The Heart of Christmas. I saw the play there the week of July 4th about uh, God with us. And, oh, it's amazing. Hey, folks, you, two speakers, let me mention this. And this is the Truth and Liberty Conference, September 7 through 9, just a few weeks away. Make plans wherever you're 
wherever you are, uh, you don't want to miss this. David Barton, of course, you know, America's historian, and he is one of the greatest speakers ever. I, it's been my joy to know David Barton for so many years. But you mentioned Chad Connolly. I've got a little bit of a miracle story about Chad Connolly. This was back during the 2020 um, I'm sorry, the 2016 presidential election, Chad Connolly was serving as kind of the li liaison for a lot of faith organizations and the Republican Party. And I was asked to speak at four different uh, Trump rallies back in 2016 because I had met Donald Trump just uh, at the Values Voter Summit. But anyway, Chad Connolly I'd seen on national television. And I prayed and I said, Lord, I need to meet that guy. Mm. Uh, Lord, I don't know how I could meet him, but Lord, help me to meet Chad Connolly. Well, I was coming from Atlanta to Charlotte, North Carolina, and we got rerouted through Greenville, South Carolina. It's one of those things where we're delayed. So I get on this plane and I'm sitting beside uh, a gentleman. And um, I said, hi, uh, Alex McFarland, what's your name? He said, well, my name is Chad Connolly. And <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, really, he wasn't awesome. supposed to be on that plane. I wasn't either. He said, oh, my goodness, uh, Alex McFarland, the, the biblical worldview guy? And I said, yeah, that's me. He said, I was just praying that I needed to meet with you. And I oh, said, well, wow. I was just praying that I needed to meet with you. Now, uh, Richard, whenever people like atheists will say, does God really answer prayer? I mean, that's just one little scenario, but every time I see Chad Connolly, uh, we talk about the airplane story, but you'll meet him, you'll hear him. Richard, I commend you. You've put together a great event, my friend. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Well, and I didn't mention you because you'd already mentioned yourself, but I'm lo really looking forward to your messages at the conference, and uh, I know it's going to be awesome. Everybody that comes, I, I can guarantee you're going to be edified, you're going to be strengthened and equipped, and you will be glad you were here. Well, to God be the glory. We've got a lot of other great stuff going on. Hey, in the context of this show, we'll tell you some things that, that uh, God is doing through Truth and Liberty, but I want to talk to some people. So we're going to pick up the phones, and we're going to start in Missouri. Frank in Missouri, thanks for holding. You are the first caller on today's edition of Truth and Liberty. Yeah, yeah so it's such a privilege to listen to you guys, and I, I I wish my phone, I don't know, I've been watching Andrew and uh, all these blurbs come up and then Carrie and, and all of the ministers from the uh, from the uh, the teaching. Yeah, anyways, and I just heard a little bit of what you were saying, uh, Alec, about uh, uh, about uh, you know, the supernatural versus the, and I have a question for uh, for, for Brother Harris, so, but the this broadcast, glory to God, is a uh, is a uh, God putting a little bit of uh, super on my natural, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah, and the and the blessing of being able to ask, you know, it's blowing my fuses just to be able to <laughs> ask this little simple question of, you know, how would I be able to prepare myself to come to Karis, but. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, uh, Richard, you want me you to say? How, yeah. how does one prepare to come to Karis? Well, Frank, thank you for that question. And um, if it's your heart's desire to come to Karis, then um, I believe God will make a way for you to do that. Um, the, the most important thing you can do is to prepare your heart. 
And uh, the way you, you prepare your heart is to um, seek the Lord uh, and, and open yourself to everything that he has for you. Allow God, just tell him, you know, with a sincere heart that you're willing for him to do whatever he pleases on the inside of you and that he give him permission to change the way you think, give him permission to change the direction of your life, give him permission to mold you into the man of faith and power that you're designed to be. And I think if your heart is in that place, then you will definitely hit the ground running here. Of course, there's all kinds of uh, practical considerations as you're moving from one location to another, and I don't mean to minimize those. Be, be thorough in your, in your material preparations, whatever those need to be. But spiritually, just open your heart to God and, and uh, be a willing vessel for the transformation that He wants to do on the inside of you. Amen. Amen. God, Frank, God bless you for your heart. Uh, in 1 Samuel 3.10 in the Old Testament, you know, Samuel was a young person ministering under a priest named Eli. And one night, uh, Samuel uh, heard his name called. And he went in a couple of times to Eli and said, hey, did you call me? And Eli realized it was the Lord. And Eli said, the next time God calls out, simply say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And I think one of the ways that you prepare for something like Karis uh, is just to keep your heart open and say, Lord, speak. Uh, Lord, let me hear you with unmistakable clarity. And mm -hmm. Lord, uh, what you lay in front of me, I will do. You show me the way. You know, I love uh, Jeremiah 33, 3, Richard, where God said, call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not yet know. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we're willing, willing, God, God will say, here is the way, walk ye in it. And mm -hmm. so, Frank, God bless you. And folks, with your questions for Richard Harris or for myself, uh, the number is 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341. Um, Richard, can I change gears a little bit on you? Uh, and I, I, I've got a, a question I was reading in the news that um, with the mounting charges, I've got a little bit of a political question here. Um, in the Biden White House, it says there's a lot of turmoil going on. There are charges against Hunter Biden. There are uh, questions about the president and China and just business deals that represent a conflict of interest. Um, and it says that the president's attorneys and general counsel, people are bailing out and leaving um, Richard, I know you're a great minister, but you're also a very astute uh, legal thinker. Um, how concerned are you about what's going on in our nation's capital and some of the implicate legally, constitutionally, uh, some of the, the goings on in the White House right now? Could you comment on some of these things? Well, yeah, sure, sure, Alex. So the, the, um, the White House um, itself, of course, is occupied by Joe Biden. Um, and I think that Joe Biden is uh, probably one of the most corrupt poli uh, politicians that we've had for quite some time in America. We've had major corruption before in the country. Um, it's interesting that, you know, it, 
it often is followed by great revival, these periods of corruption. Yeah. But, uh, but Joe Biden is definitely a corrupt politician. There's no doubt about it. He's, uh, he's a liar. He's dishonest. Uh, he's lied about so many things that it's impossible to even keep track of all the lies. And, and I don't mean to defame him as an individual, but, uh, but you know, he, he is holding the office of president, and we need to be honest about this situation. This is not about politics. It's about um, our government and our nation. And, and this, this dishonesty, this lack of integrity uh, is, is bleeding over into everything, um, where law enforcement is no longer executing the law with honor. Um, rather, they're doing it for political purposes. It's another manifestation of corruption. Um, judges are deciding cases for political reasons, not based on the law. And so this whole ethos uh, of that you see, you know, when you look back over history, Alex, I, you can comment on this better than me. It's, um, it's not the, the, the Christian rulers that are, are devoted to God. You don't, you don't see this there. The, the, the governments that are rooted and grounded in the Bible, you don't see this. Where you see it is in tyranny. Tyranny always mm -hmm. has this corruption to it, this uh, self-serving power grab, lying to the people, propaganda, corruption of law enforcement, corruption of the justice system. Wherever you go, if there's tyranny, those things are there. So we need to root this stuff out. We need to say this is not tolerable in this nation, and, uh, and we need to return back to the fundamental truths of God's word. Amen. And, and just a general disregard for truth. Folks, um, don't be desensitized. I know it's a busy, noisy world, but lying is wrong. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and President Biden, and uh, I'm not attacking him personally. I pray for the man. But look, he has for decades, decades, has a history of lying. You know, Richard, I, I was um, reading where uh, Biden said that in 1967, during the Six-Day War, uh, Israeli Prime Minister Golda Meir tapped him to be a liaison, quote-unquote. Well, I looked into that. He would have been 24, and he was in law school at that time. And, <laughs> I, I mean, really, during the Six-Day War in 1967, the Prime Minister of Israel, I remember as a child, she would be on 60 Minutes. She mm -hmm. was... Um, a very uh, gentle, um, she carried herself very professionally. Golda Meir sought out a, a then unknown 24-year-old law school student to be some amorphous type of liaison. That's a lie. And whether it be a, 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 a trucker, a train engineer, he was a Catholic, he was a Baptist, he went to the Jewish synagogue. Just this week, he said that he witnessed a bridge fall in Pittsburgh in 2022, and even his own staff said that is false. Here, here's my point. Um, lies, just habitual lies, a disregard for truth tells me that there are a lot of moral and spiritual problems in the soul of that person. And so, folks, we would ask you, please be in prayer. Please be in prayer that God would restore, restore the point, point of law, order, and yes, even righteousness in our nation. We so desperately need it restored. Well, the, the number is 719-619-2341. Uh, Your calls and questions on this very special edition of Truth and Liberty with our guest, Richard Harris. We're going to go to Texas. Donna, a, a partner in Texas. By the way, thank you for being a partner with Truth and Liberty. Folks, if you give a recurrent gift of at least $5 a month, 
you too can be a Truth and Liberty partner and help us restore America. So uh, that, if you want to be a partner like Donna, go to truthandliberty.net slash donate. And we, we praise God for each and every one of you. But Donna, welcome to the show tonight. Thank you. Can what you hear you got me? for us, Donna? Yes. Well, you know, after I gave the the gentleman that answered my phone call, the question man, my whole big spiel of what I was trying to say, the way he wrote the question down says it all, I think. <laughs> so I don't have to go through this whole spiel. I just, you know, when people speak in tongues, sometimes you'll notice they have a lot of the same phrases that I may not use. So I was thinking, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, what's your, well, you know, what's your question? I'm sorry. I mean, is that like normal? Well, let me, uh, there's a scripture in Isaiah and I'm struggling with my phone here to find it. But the you know, Isaiah says with, um, uh, stammering tongue and, uh, stuttering lips, will I speak unto this people? Um, and he also refers to uh, sending the, uh, forth the re- and from that a refreshing. So um, many, uh, many Bible scholars uh, from the Pentecostal movement understand that that scripture to be referring to the gift of tongues in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I personally agree with it. I think I, I've spoken in. Let me tell you about my experience. I was. Um, uh, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit without anybody being around me, without anyone laying hands on me. It happened in uh, my bedroom one day when I was just worshiping God and all of a sudden had a desire to begin making speech sounds that didn't make any sense to me. And since I was by myself, I yielded to that desire and it began to flow out of me. And I thought, wow, that sounded like a Native American language. Really strange. But, you know, everybody has their own language. The first Corinthians refers to it as the, the language of angels. And so it, it's a gift from God. And I think that one of the keys is not to judge uh, your language or other people's language in terms of criticizing it, but just to um, accept uh, what God has given you. So uh, it, it does sound different among different people. Mm. You know, Richard and Donna, I think about Romans 8, 26 and 27 that says, uh, it says, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we ought to pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself, the Holy Spirit of God, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts and knoweth knoweth what is in the mind of the spirit. He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Um, you know, there are times that uh, I feel like the spirit of God just is so prevalent uh, and so powerful working in our lives that we pray uh, in the natural, we pray in the supernatural, languages that language that we know, languages that we don't know. And like you say, Richard, think about this. You know, it says that in the book of Revelation that uh, in heaven we get a white stone with a name on it that no man knows knows. but God. Uh, You know, um, some have theorized that maybe that's like this secret pet name 
this term of love and endearment that Christ has for his children and just, you know, it's, it's between you and the Lord. Could it be that when it comes to prayer languages and tongues that there is a, a personalized, it's just between you and Almighty God, a language that is yours and yours alone before God? Do you think that, Richard? I, I do think that. Um, there's, um, I think, a careful study of 1 Corinthians um, 12 through 14 yeah. will show that there's a difference between a message in tongues that's intended for a body of believers and the person's um, a gift prayer of language. tongues that's given at prayer language is what we call it for short. Um, and that, uh, and yeah, it, it's personal, it's individual. And I think it is, it's an expression of the Holy Spirit in you and through you uh, on your behalf to the, to the throne of God. Um, and so uh, we just need to be thankful for it and uh, trust in it. Amen. What a great Amen. question and what an important thing. I've often said, and I, I believe it, the church, especially the church in America, needs to rediscover the supernatural. So get alone with God and pray. And uh, Andrew's got a teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Richard, the one I'm thinking of is, um, uh, well, one of them is you've already got it. Hmm. Uh, do you remember that one? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Very familiar with that so, one. Yeah, he's also got one called The New You and the Holy Spirit um, that deals with uh, the Holy Spirit's activity in us uh, at salvation and then at the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Linda in Illinois. Linda, thanks for holding and welcome. You're the next caller on tonight's edition of Truth and Liberty. Yes, I was wondering, yesterday we were talking about abortion and I had an abortion 50 years ago, and the Lord has healed me of that. But will I meet my child in heaven when I get there? Well, uh, Richard, I'm going to throw to you. I, I think absolutely so. Absolutely. Uh, and may God bless you, and thank you for, thank you for sharing with us. And, and I praise God. I rejoice with you that you found your, your healing in Jesus yeah. But um, before I um, go off on a, a, a soapbox, I absolutely believe that you'll see your child in heaven. Richard, would mm -hmm. you care to comment on that? Well, this, uh, yeah, Linda, th thank God that you have been healed of that. Um, and uh, praise the Lord for it. God is so incredibly merciful and gracious, and, and we're so thankful for that. Um, and I firmly believe that departed, our, our departed children will greet us when we enter into heaven. Um, my wife and I were just talking about this this afternoon. I went home for lunch and we were just talking about that because um, our first pregnancy ended in a, in a stillbirth and our baby uh, Faith, uh, we believe is in heaven and that we're gonna see her again. In fact, there was a supernatural, uh, let me share a scripture with you first. Um, and that is um, when Jesus said um, that he was referring to children and he said, he said, don't hinder them from coming to me. And he said that their angels behold the face of my father in heaven. Now, why would angels be assigned to children? And then if those children die, those children not go to heaven. That, that makes no sense to me at all. And uh, I believe that before the uh, age of accountability, before they're accountable for their own uh, sins, that they are 
uh, they fall under the blood of Christ and they will definitely go to heaven. And um, uh, the supernatural event that occurred to confirm this belief for us was one day we were in a worship service and one of our uh, friends that we knew somewhat came up and talked to my wife and said, I don't know what this is, but I saw a vision. She didn't know anything about our baby. She didn't know anything. And this was years later, many years later. She came up and said, I saw a vision of you uh, dancing. You're dressed in white flowing dress and with a little girl. She was um, about 12 years old. No, I can't remember the age, but it matched how old our baby would be. And you were dancing in a circle like this and she had blonde hair. And uh, excuse me, <clears throat> we knew immediately that that was from God because we knew that that was faith. And so I, I just believe that, yes, absolutely, your child is in heaven and you're going to be reunited with her. And I think the angels have been raising your baby, Linda, and that uh, uh -huh. she's going to be super excited to see you when you cross over uh, into paradise. So be comforted with that. Well, and, and let me say, um, I know you've got to take several scriptures to, to really get a fully orb picture on this, but it, this is amazing. In Matthew 17... Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mount. We call it the Mount of Transfiguration. And remember, Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, but not fallen man. And so while they're up on this mountain, Peter, James, and John, the, the veil of Jesus's humanity was momentarily pulled back, and the explosive brightness of his deity and his glory burst forth. Well, there on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John and the Lord was Moses and Elijah. Well, Moses and Elijah had been dead for centuries, and yet Peter, James, and John recognized them. So my two-part uh, response, Linda, is that we will definitely know everyone in heaven. We'll know our loved ones because 1 Corinthians 13 says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, and we will know as we are known. Isn't it amazing? In heaven, you'll walk up to somebody, oh, Amos from the Old Testament. Wow, it's good to meet you. And there will be this instantaneous knowledge now, in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 12, 23, David's child had died. And David said, he cannot return to me, but I will go to him. Your baby's in heaven. Excellent. You'll see your baby. You'll know your baby as we will know all of our loved ones. And there'll be uh, no fear, no anything but perfect love in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've got a brief break. What a wonderful show. Um, and Richard, uh, we've got callers on hold. We're going to go to more questions on this edition of Truth and Liberty. And Richard, I just want to say thanks. We have another great segment. And this is a blessing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. That's great. I love that verse you quoted, Alex. I've never heard that for that, but that's a perfect, uh, perfect proof text. I love it. Okay, folks, 719-619-2341. Call now, get in the queue. Richard and I will do our best to give God's answer for your questions, 719-619-2341 on this very special edition of Truth and Liberty. Don't go away. 
At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. It's not enough to know what God's will is, but you have to learn how to do things God's way. Now, because of the new man on the inside of me, because of the cross, I can daily deny self. And if you don't learn to do that, you're not gonna fulfill all God's will for your life. You know, you don't find the beginning of God until you get to the end of yourself. This generation is a generation of great darkness and God is raising up a deliverer to shine in the midst of all of this darkness. But in Christ Jesus, I can do all things through Christ. Some people just quote, I can do all things. No, you can't. But through Christ, you can do all things. You gotta have these two opposites in balance. I'm nothing, but I'm everything in Christ. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here along with my friend, brother, and colleague, attorney, pastor, cultural commentator, and the executive director of Truth and Liberty, Richard Harris. Richard, hey, thanks for being with me on, this, on your show tonight. Well, this is our show and, and uh, just a delight to be here. It's really fun kind of uh, sitting on this side of the, of the table, so to speak. So lo I'm loving it. It's going great. Well, folks, we really do have some incredible shows. Um, tomorrow night, I'll be hosting again with uh, Debbie Wooth now of iVoter Guide. Next week, this is big, and there's great shows every night, Truth and Liberty. Um, a week from today, I'll have Ken Ham on of Answers in Genesis. He built the Creation Museum, the, the actual size ark in Northern Kentucky, the Ark Encounter, where 2 million people a year come to visit that. He, to, to me, he's just one of the great leaders of our times. Ken Ham next week, and we've got so much that God is doing and so much planned. So do me a favor, please. Tell your friends about Truth and Liberty. Mm -hmm. uh, the website, truthandliberty.net. Tell people about that. Encourage people to watch. Encourage people to... Uh, be a subscriber. Richard, you you write such great articles, and I get them. They come to my inbox. How can people get the content that is being generated by Truth and Liberty? Oh, good question, and it's super easy. Just go on our website, truthandliberty.net, and there's a subscribe button in the upper right-hand corner. You click that, share your email with us, and you'll be on the list, and you'll start getting all that, um, all that good, solid uh, content. And Alex, you write some of that for us. And uh, of course, your articles are always fantastic. So uh, yeah, it's, it's real easy. Well, praise God. Hey, by the way, folks, I want to mention, um, I, I was very honored. There's a conservative website called the Western Journal, if you Google Western Journal. And I released an article to the uh, wire service about a week ago on Christian nationalism. And this relates to our next call, Robert in Florida. But um, even this week, a major leader, and I'm going to quote this in a little bit, but um, can a Christian love the Lord Jesus and be patriotic? 
And if I love the Lord, does that mean I can't love America? And if I'm caring about our nation, does that mean somehow I'm not loving Christ? Well, I wrote an article about that, and Western Journal published it, and uh, I'm going to send it to Richard for the Truth and Liberty website. And so uh, we live in a time when we really do, as believers and patriots, we need to be very sharp, very informed, and praise God, Truth and Liberty and truthandliberty.net is helping achieve that. Well, we're going to go to Robert in Florida. Uh, Robert, thanks for holding. You are the next caller on this edition of Truth and Liberty with Richard Harris. Welcome, Robert. Hi, Alex. Um, directing this to uh, Richard, um, in mentioning of the, our inalienable rights endowed by our Creator, it's right there in our Constitution. And we're talking about we as Christians, you know, having what this world needs, and it's in the Bible. And I, I wanted to ask Richard, do you think we could make a push to, to make the Bible a, a, a part of the curriculum in all school education? It could go through the legal system and promote the Bible as necessary, you know, rules of not, not Robert's rules. I'm saying this is, this is the book that has to be presented back into the curriculum. Can we uh, legislate as a lawyer? Could you tell us, can we do this? Well, Robert, I am so thankful for your question. Um, you know, a few years ago, and by a few, I mean five, <laughs> just a few years ago, nobody believed that, uh, I don't want to say nobody, very few people believed that the overturn of Roe versus Wade was really a realistic goal or anything we would see in our lifetime. It was one of these entrenched doctrines and ideas that, you know, we were chipping away at the edges trying to pass pro-life laws here and pro-life laws there. But God heard our prayers and uh, that case was overturned. And now we are seeing tens of thousands of babies uh, saved from the, uh, the you know, atrocity of abortion um, throughout, throughout the country. And, and I think that school prayer and I think school Bible reading are realistic uh, goals. Of course, all things are possible with God. Um, but when you, you know, when you get back to an originalist perspective on the Constitution, and that's the key, see, the, the current Supreme Court majority looked at the Constitution and said, did the, is there, first, is there anything in here that says anything about abortion? There's not. So let's look at the history of the document. There's nothing to suggest that the framers intended to give Congress or, or to, um, uh, intended to outlaw abortion, right, or, or, or secure a right to abortion, I, sh I should say, and that this is something that was historically regulated by the states throughout the history of the entire nation up until 1973. So they said, this, this decision is wrong. So when they come and, and have the right case to look at the issue of school prayer and a Bible reading in schools, I believe that it is possible that they may reverse the precedent uh, going back into the 1960s of Griswold v. Connecticut, I think, and, and uh, some other cases, um, and because they're in the same manner, there is no uh, nothing in the Constitution that would make that uh, illegal, and nothing in the Constitution or in the history of our nation to suggest that it was intended to be banned by the U.S. Constitution. In, in fact, quite the contrary. In the early days of our nation, uh, and for decades, really, um, students were uh, were led in prayer at the beginning of, of public school. Uh, they would read the Bible. They would have Bible memorization lessons. Uh, Bible history was taught 
uh, a generic understanding, not generic, that's not the right word, uh, an understanding of the basic principles of Christianity without sectarian or, you know, like, well, we're not going to make you a Catholic, we're not going to make you a Presbyterian, we're just going to tell you the basics of Christianity. That was commonplace. In fact, people understood that was part of a good education. Whether you believe it or not, you need to at least know what those are. And um, right. and so I think, I think we do have a good I think that it is something that is possible, and we need to be seeking that and praying about that all across the land. And if we want to talk about what will change this nation, getting our kids back in prayer and back in the Bible in every school in the country would be uh, absolutely phenomenal. We would see revival. So Amen. that's my view Amen. of it. And I apologize for going on so long about it, but I really appreciate that question. Oh, Richard, this is why I so deeply appreciate uh, thinkers and scholars like David Barton mm -hmm. and Bill Federer and, so, well, Tim Barton as well, folks. Yes. Uh, David Barton of Wall Builders, he is great. Uh, you know, it was my privilege to help bring him to my hometown of Greensboro, North Carolina back in 1996. So I've been a David Barton fan for a long, long time, but you need to also know about his uh, son, Tim Barton. But uh, Richard, this has always been kind of an interesting thing to me when I've spoken or debated at universities. And you mention uh, not even specific Christianity, but just mention morals or, or God or prayer or swearing the oath of honesty on the scripture when you go, go to court to put your hand on the Bible and affirm that you will tell the truth. Well, uh, so many secularists at universities say, well, that violates the First Amendment because the First Amendment famously contains what is called the non-establishment clause. Now, folks, listen to this, and I want to lay this out, and Richard, I want your response, and if I get any of this uh, incorrect, you correct me. But it says, Congress will make no law, no law regarding the establishment of religion. But it also says, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Well, at 200 American universities, I, I've, I've asked when they'll say, the First Amendment means you can't pray in school. The First Amendment means a student cannot carry a Bible to school. The First Amendment because if we allow a student to have a Bible in a public school, or if we acknowledge marriages between a man and a woman, somehow they argue that will violate the non-establishment clause of the First Amendment. So I'll say, who wrote the First Amendment? Crickets. Uh, I, I, yeah. So I, I said, well, let, let me help you. The man that wrote the First Amendment is, was a guy named Fisher Ames, A-M-E-S. Fisher Ames wrote the, the wording of the First Amendment that was adopted. And Fisher Ames later said, quote, I would that the Bible be taught in all public schools, for it is the best vehicle for teaching morals to young people. Now, here's my question, and I've yet to have a, a secularist, socialist, you know, woke person answer this. I said, if the man that wrote the First Amendment didn't think it would violate the First Amendment to have a Bible in a school, why do today we think that it would? In other words, how do 21st century secularists know more about the application of the First Amendment than the man that wrote the First Amendment? Now, 
uh, seriously, Richard, if I've got this wrong somehow, you feel free to school me. Uh, no, it's a, it's a power, powerful, powerful piece of history right there. Well done. That's really great. You know, um, the, the Supreme Court in 1947, now they, they had previously quoted from Jefferson's letter, but this was the first time that they really elevated it to precedential uh, level. Uh, he, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson had written a letter to a group of, um, of Baptists in Connecticut um, after, after he had become, after he'd been elected president, um, but before he was sworn in, assuring them that uh, he would not do anything as president to interfere with their religious beliefs and practices because they were concerned uh, based on, you know, political innuendo that he, he would do something. And so um, he said, in my opinion, you know, the First Amendment uh, creates a wall of separation between church and state. Uh, you know, 150 years approximately later, or 35 years, the United States Supreme Court picks up on that phrase from a letter and makes that the standard. They no longer use the language that's in the amendment. They no longer look at the people that drafted the amendment. They no longer look at the practices, or uh, uh, they didn't used to, the practices in the nation at the time that that amendment was adopted, the things that were acceptable under that amendment for 150 years. Then they craft their own interpretation from a secularist materialist worldview and say this is what it must mean a strict wall that and there can never be any any breach of that wall impregnable right um, uh-uh. and then they go on to go on over the next 25 years 30 years to strike down just about every traditional interface of religion and public life in the nation, everything from Christmas displays in public squares to prayer in schools to crosses on on emblems and, and everything else from prayer at graduation. It's a radical secularist agenda that has no connection to the historical roots of this nation or the true intent of the First Amendment. And so you're absolutely right, Alex. You know, Thomas Jefferson was not even present when the amendment was drafted, uh, he was not a party to that. Um, he was elected. He was in France or something at the time. Was not in the Constitutional Convention or the first session of Congress, and so to attribute the interpretation to him is a real reach, you know. But one thing he did do that I think speaks to the same thing. Even Thomas Jefferson sponsored, encouraged, and allowed church meetings in the United States Capitol. In fact, when he was president of the United States, the largest church in in America was in the United States Capitol building itself. So how can this be that he would have sanctioned all these other, you know, he, it's just crazy. So getting back to our historical roots and an originalist intent is the cure for this whole situation. Indeed. Hey, by by the way, do you know the connection? Okay, you know that that little fragment of a of a sentence, wall of separation. Do you know the tie between uh, the the preacher Roger Williams, who mm-hmm. founded Rhode Island, and that phrase? Do you know about that, Richard? I uh, no. I need you to educate me. Well, folks, listen to this, and and folks, brace yourself. Grab a stationary object because th- this is just this is like irony out of a Shakespearean play. Okay, this thing of secularizing America and getting God out of our nation. This has been something that the 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 secularists have been working on for decades, and and the Supreme Court, the ACLU, have been some of their allies. And like Richard, you so well said, they lifted a phrase from a presidential letter where 
Jefferson was writing to the Danbury Baptist in Connecticut. Basically, the Danbury Baptist had heard a rumor that, that there was going to be a national denomination, Congregationalism. Now, uh, Jonathan Edwards had been a Congregationalist pastor. They were a big denomination. I've actually been to Jonathan Edwards' church in uh, Hamden, Connecticut. But uh, listen to this. What Thomas Jefferson was doing, was this in 1803, Richard? The, I believe the, so. The, yeah. No. See, Jefferson quotes a Baptist, Roger Williams. Now, if you go to the U.S. Capitol, and we've led tours up there with David Barton, it's amazing. We go into the rotunda of the Capitol. There's all these, these uh, 15 by 22-foot paintings by Trumbull that show the uh, founding of the country. It's just amazing. Maybe we'll get to go there sometime, folks. So, uh, some of our students from practical government at Karis do go to Washington up there. But listen to this. Right, the first statue that you see uh, on your way to Statuary Hall off of the rotunda of the Capitol is a statue of Roger Williams, a Baptist preacher. Now, here is what Roger Williams said. He said, in the founding of America, and by the way, he named the capital of Rhode Island Providence, as in the providence of God. All right. Roger Williams praised America, the uniting of principles of good civil government with biblical principles. And Roger Williams had said, now hang with me, folks. He said, in America, the wall of separation between the garden of the church and the Egypt of the world, God hath forever broken down. Now, when Je I believe in 1803, when Jefferson uh, used this wall of separation phrase that basically, Danbury Baptist, don't you worry. The government is not going to tell you how to run your church. He was really alluding to a Baptist thinker that the Danbury Baptist would have been well familiar with, Roger Williams. So what's so ironic, all of that say this, folks, when in the 20th century, they turned that phrase 180 degrees out of phase, turned it on its head to try to push God out of government, God out of the public square, God out of American life. That was just a, a bit of philosophical... Um, uh, gamesmanship that is is stunning, frankly, Richard. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, for, uh, yeah, that's. I wonder if Jefferson actually did uh, pinch that phrase from um, uh, Roger Williams. Roger Williams, you know, and he, and you're probably right that he did. He was such a well-read individual. He's probably familiar with it. Um, and and the uh, the thing is, is that the the historical context of the First Amendment. Um, was uh, twofold. First, it was to prevent the federal government from interfering with religion. It was never intended to prevent Christians from living out their faith in service in the government or, um, you know, the various traditions of, of like public schools and things like that. It, they never could have conceived that it would be interpreted in that fashion. In fact, if you fast forward to the 1830s and 40s, um, uh, I think it was in the 1830s, there was uh, um, 
uh, this secularism was on the march. Um, you know, the French Revolution had occurred and expelling, you know, uh, all Christianity from government was was popular amongst uh, certain people and certain elites. And this became a controversy in the United States even back then, and Congress held hearings. And the Judiciary Committee in the House and the Judiciary Committee in the Senate actually considered what is the interpretation of the First Amendment, are we supposed to have a secular government? And both committees absolutely and, and soundly rejected that concept as being anathema to our founders, anathema to the identity of the nation, and to all uh, that is necessary for uh, a Republican government to survive. Um, we must have religion and we must have morals. And, and so um, this was already looked at and already rejected. And yet, um, you know, in the, in the 1940s, the Supreme Court began to go the opposite direction. And what I teach in the Practical Government School, Alex, is, is that um, when, when the, the, the idea of original intent from a constitutional perspective, it is the rope that ties the ship to the dock. And once that huh. rope gets cut, the ship is adrift on the sea and there is no telling where it will end up. There's nothing to connect it to the purpose uh, of the document anymore. And, and tyranny is the result because now judges can say it means whatever they want it to say. This whole idea that it's a living document, all that is is a pretext for tyranny. Um, and who's, who's to say? Well, the guy in the black robe behind the bench now gets to say because he's the oracle that will divine the purpose, divine the intent. We can't have that. That's not republicanism. That's tyranny. Oh, amen. Amen. And, and folks, listen, when, when you hear a candidate say that the Constitution is a living document, be careful, because that, that's code speak for the idea that I can make words mean whatever I want them to mean, you know? Uh, we must, not only originalist, original intent of the writer, but Richard, don't we need to go back to the belief, really, that truth exists? Yes. Truth is objective, not subjective. I mean, it's not my subjective personal preference to just make things up. There is an objective truth, or sometimes you'll hear the phrase absolute truth. It's not opinion, but it's truth. We must uh, recover that solid ground. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, I think so, Alex. I mean, that is... Um... That's the foundation where, uh, of all of our problems today is the rejection of truth. Um, you, you might, you, you know this so well, much better. You can articulate all of this better than I can. But you know, the it started slowly, didn't it? Um, we began to see this concept of moral relativism entering the culture in the 1980s and 90s, um, and you know the the idea that well, what what's right and wrong depends upon the circumstances, you know, and each person's perspective. And then it develops eventually into well, no one can say for sure what truth is it's up to the individual and now we even have ownership uh, you can have your truth and I can have my truth and no one is entitled to question your truth because that's offensive I, I was on a phone call with someone a few months ago and he was uh, uh, going into great uh, at length about how he was offended here and offended there and, and he used the phrase well you know my truth and I said there's no such thing as your truth and he absolutely exploded in a rage on me. And how dare you, la, 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 you know. But, but it's such nonsense, isn't it? How can there be one person's truth and the whole 
the whole definition of truth is that it is independent of opinion. Um, and so exactly. you have, yeah, yeah. And, it, and you know, our, our whole nation is built on it, isn't it? Um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And then he goes on to talk about natural law. That's, and natural law, if you dive into it, it's based on the word of God. Um, and, and that's what our founders meant by that phrase is the, the scriptures are where we find natural law and in nature, uh, but the scriptures are the final authority. And so if we can get back to that foundation, um, you know, it'll be absolutely glorious. I believe we can. It's going to take God's yeah. help, but, and all of our hard work. Well, and folks, that's why if you're a born again believer, uh, I have an assignment for you. And first of all, if you're not a Christian, maybe you're watching Truth and Liberty tonight. Look, step one for you, the most important thing. Uh, I mean, this is the most significant, most consequential thing that, that you'll ever do. It'll be the most tragic thing if you don't do this. Number one, make sure that you are saved. Make sure that you are born again. In John chapter 3, the Lord Jesus said, unless someone is born again, born from above, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you, do you know that you've trusted Christ. And if you are not sure, or you say, you know, I don't, I don't know what it means to be a Christian. This is the most important thing in our plea for you, because look, we're, we're all going to die. Uh, that's just, that's an undeniable absolute truth is human mortality. You know, Richard, I read somebody, I think it was Art Linkletter. He was a commentator many years ago, but he said, the statistics on death are impressive. One out of every one dies. So look, yes. um, call this number. If you need spiritual help and somebody can, they'll show you how you can know that Christ is in your life and you are saved. The number 719-635-1111. But we're not trying to sell you anything, no strings attached. We just no. want you to know that you're born again. But as a Christian, Christian to Christian, I have an assignment for people. Uh, Mark 9.26 says some things are accomplished only by prayer and fasting. And in Richard, I agree with Richard Harris that America can be restored. America uh, can be brought back to our constitutional principles that made us the greatest nation in the world for more than two centuries, and it can be restored. And the Bible and the Word of God uh, can be the driving North Star for our land once again, but here's the assignment. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. And so I want to ask you if you would join us in interceding for America. Well, time just fleets away. Richard, this has gone by in a blink. I bet we have time for another call. So I'm going to try to squeeze in one more call. This is AJ, a subscriber. AJ, thank you for holding. Thank you for supporting Truth and Liberty. And we welcome you to the program. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you taking my call. This yes. one's actually for Richard. I hear that he's a pastor for Upstream Ministries. And can you can you explain that, Richard, what Upstream Ministries is? And if someone was to host one of the home churches, can you explain what criteria you use? Sure thing, Alec, uh, AJ. Thanks for calling. 
And uh, for your question, yeah. So our, our church is, um, uh, we facilitate uh, home churches um, and we have uh, several around the world. And so the, the qualifications are, you know, um, basically you need to be sold out to Jesus, right? You need to have good moral character and a hunger to know him and and a desire to to lead others, um, and then beyond that, you know, it's based on a, a personal uh, interview and uh, and just getting to know you, um, uh, and and basically. Um, uh, we have we have home churches in Pakistan and Australia and uh, Zambia wow. and other places, but um, you know we provide the resources that you need to uh, lead a home church um, with uh, you know we, uh, the uh, Bible teaching and as well as um, worship and and so uh, we want to facilitate those because the Bible says that um, in the early church they met in the temple uh, daily they met daily in the temple and from house to house. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and Acts chapter 5 also refers to this and you see throughout the New Testament that the churches were held in homes and uh, I believe that that's not coincidental. Um, the, the fellowship and intimate community that develops in a home church is, um, uh, provides the cohesion, support, and the, uh, the, the trust that you need amongst the believers in order for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to fully manifest and take place. And it also allows for the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit uh, and, and the training up of people in the operating of those gifts. So that's why we really believe in home church and, and that's why we support it and facilitate it. So I appreciate your question today. I uh, hope I've answered it. Uh, hey, Richard, uh, do, do, yeah. do your home churches, uh, do you have a website? Yes, sir. It's upstreamministries.com. Upstreamministries.com. Wonderful. Hey, well, Richard, uh, time just fleets well. I wish we had more time. I've got a breaking news story. My home state of North Carolina, the GOP uh, Senate in North Carolina has overridden Governor Roy Cooper's uh, law to allow minors to have gender reassignment surgery. And the GOP Senate and House in North Carolina has no banned, banned gender reassignment surgery for minors in North Carolina. So praise uh, the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's good news, folks. Let's just pray that the the rule of law will stand and not just the rule of law, but just common sense. Richard, Mm -hmm. I I'm I'm not I'm not being, you know, trite. I just wonder it's like we've lost our mind. Do you ever think that? Oh, well, yeah, when, and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. When you don't believe in truth, um, you know, insanity comes knocking at the door. There's no standards left, uh, and it's whatever a person yeah. wants. So, so yeah, that's where, that's where the country is right now. I think we're clawing our way back. We've got to keep fighting, praying, and believing. That's what truth and liberty is all about. Amen. Well, Richard, I want to thank you for being with us tonight on Truth and Liberty. But even more importantly, thank you for what you're doing for Karis, Andrew Womack Ministries, Truth and Liberty, and for the kingdom of God. Uh, you too, you're Alex. a hero to many people, myself included, brother. Thank you. Same, same to you. Well, viewers, tell somebody about Truth and Liberty. You can go to truthandliberty.net. You can watch archived shows. I'll be back tomorrow. So keep us in prayer. Stand strong, stay bold. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. 
Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.